0: Thanks David. Some of you are very far away, but I'm a teacher so I'm used to the people I'm teaching trying to be as far away from me as possible. So I think I'll manage. If I haven't met you yet, as David said, I'm Sarah. I'm married to Nick. He's there in the coffee shop. We've got four kids and I do not do this full time by any means. I teach primary school. And it's just such a joy to be with you guys this evening and such a privilege to be preaching on one of my favorite topics, worship. I'm also one of the worship leaders here at Fountain. And We're actually wrapping up this series that we've been in in, on worship for a while, and no doubt you would have heard through this series that worship is not just about the songs that we sing, but very much about the lives that we live. So it's my prayer tonight that I'll also leave you with some truth about how worship is very much about all of life. And no matter what topic I'm preaching about, I try to make a point of going back to Genesis, back to the creation before sin entered the world to see if there's anything that we can learn about that topic that we see before sin came and affected our perception of it. And I also like to make a point of looking at the life of Jesus when he walked the earth and looking at how he modeled whatever that topic is for us. Tonight, it's worship. And so tonight isn't any different for me. We're going to do both of those things. So let's go back to the beginning, shall we? And have a look at what I believe is actually the very first example of a lifestyle of worship. We're going to look at Genesis 1 and 2, and I'm going to jump around a bit just so we can get a bit of an overview of what life and worship in the garden looked like. So we're going to start in Genesis 1 from verse 26, and it says, so, man, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then we're going to jump to Genesis 2. It says, Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And then if we jump down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And finally, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is good. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, or some translations say a counterpart, suitable for him. So, Genesis 1 ends by saying that God looked at all he had made, and presumably how he had made it to function, and he saw that it was good. The worship leader Jeremy Riddle says, worship is only worship if it pleases God. I'm going to say that again. Worship is only worship if it pleases God. And I take that to mean that our worship is not primarily about what we do or what it looks like, even whether it appears to be worshipful, but it's about our hearts, and it's about the state of our hearts when we do what we do and whether that is pleasing to God. In other words, God, is the true judge of what is worship. So I'd like to suggest tonight that if God was pleased with his original design for the earth and for mankind's role in it, then it is likely that everything, everything that was done in the garden was able to be offered to God as worship. And there's certainly other passages of Scripture that make reference to the fact that every part of our life can be offered as worship to God, we think of Jesus saying that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds. We think of Paul writing to the Corinthians that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should do it all for the glory of God. And we think of him writing to the Romans saying that he urges us in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies or our whole lives as living sacrifices, holy And pleasing to God as our true and proper worship. So what is the the blueprint or the original design that we see for life and worship in the Garden of Eden? Well, in summary, if we think of what we've just read, then we can see that God gave Adam and Eve a few instructions, and they looked like be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule the earth, Work and take care of what you've been given stewardship of. Obey God's commandments or live within his limits. And live in authentic and vulnerable fellowship and community with one another and with God. And when I think about it, these instructions cover principles for basically everything. From relationships with God and mankind to work to governance and everything in between. So in Eden... We see worship as Adam and Eve offering everything that they did in daily life, in perfect communion and unhindered connection with God. And of course, worship also looked like living within God's boundaries, submission to those boundaries, because we'll see that everything changed in Eden when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and sin entered the world. So... Eden's our first example of worship as a lifestyle because Adam and Eve lived in accordance with God's original design and everything that they did was done according to his instructions and in communion with him and for his glory and for his pleasure. So worship in Eden looked like submission to God's plan. Then the result of their choice not to submit to God's original design was hiddenness. Let's look at Genesis 3. It says, after they had sinned, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. So when the opportunity came for Adam and Eve to be close to God once more after they had sinned, their response was to hide. And when it says that they hid themselves in the original Hebrew, what it means is that they withdrew from his presence or they hid themselves from his face. And sin doesn't only lead to spiritual death like we read about in the Word of God, but it also leads us to withdraw from the presence of God. It brings shame and fear into our lives so that we can't look Him in the eyes. Hiddenness. And I really think that that tendency has actually been passed on to all of us. And I believe that it shows up not only in our relating to God, but also in our relating to one another Think of Adam and Eve. They were once totally naked with each other and with God, and they were unashamed. But after they sinned, they were ashamed of their nakedness, of their exposure, of their vulnerability, and they felt the need to hide themselves. And I think that mankind has been walking in that way ever since. Some of us hide by isolating ourselves physically. Some of us withdraw by blending in so that we're not noticed or seen. And then still some of us hide in plain sight behind bravado acting like we don't have anything to hide but never really revealing anything authentic about ourselves. Do you know that when I look at the creation story, I see three incredible gifts that God gave to mankind when he created them. And the first, of course, was himself. He gave us the gift of perfect communion with him. But the next one is freedom or free will, because true love can't really exist if there isn't choice. If true love is compelled or controlled, then it isn't true love at all. And finally, God gave us boundaries. He gave us limits that consider what is best for us, not only in our relationship with Him, but in our relationships with each other and just on earth. And these are the very gifts that became tainted when sin enters the world, if you think about it. Because firstly, we experienced disconnection from him. We no longer had perfect communion with him. And we began to experience shame about who we were. Adam and Eve felt the need to hide. They were no longer secure in who they were and how God had created them. And I believe we also begin to see boundaries through one of two lenses. We either see them through the lens of fear where we believe that God has given us rules that we need to follow in fear of punishment. Or we see them through the rules of rebellion, and we begin to see God's boundaries as rules that are actually there to control us and that we need to rebel against. And so free will is no longer a gift that we can use to demonstrate love through submission, but free will becomes a weapon that we need to use to assert our own autonomy as lords over our own lives. But it has always been God's intention to restore to us the ability to be close to him and to be free and secure in who he's made us to be. And perhaps this is most evident in the fact that when Adam and Eve hide from him, his response is to call out to them, Where are you? He pursued them immediately without any hesitation, despite the fact that they had chosen a way apart from His. And the Lord's plan to restore us to connection with Him came through Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And just like God the Father walking in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Christ put on flesh. And he came, and he walked among us. And you know, just as Adam and Eve were God's image bearers on earth, I really believe that Eden was the image of heaven on earth. Because what is heaven if not the dwelling place of God, the manifestation of the kingdom of God, a reflection of the creative beauty of God, a place where God has total dominion and where he's most loved? and most glorified, and Eden reflected all of these realities. Yet this time, for our sakes, God in Christ was made manifest in a broken world. The kingdom of God breaking in through the sin and the shame of a fallen world, Jesus modeling connection and communion and obedience to the Father, amidst the hustle and the hurry of life on earth. And he was here, forging for us a pathway back to Eden, back to oneness with the Father. So let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this. It'll probably come up on the screen in the New International Version, but I love the way that the Passion Translation paraphrases this, so I'm gonna read it to you from there. It's quite a long passage, but I really think it speaks for itself. About what Christ has done to make a way back to oneness with the Father for us. It's from Romans 5, verse 15, and it says Now there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But, This gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity, but now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners, so also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. Beautiful. Jesus forging a way back to the oneness with the Father that we saw in the Garden of Eden. But aside from the fact that Jesus would go to the cross to make a way back to the Father for us, what was the plan for Jesus' life on earth? What was it going to look like for him to live a life of worship as he moved toward his moment of crucifixion? Well, I actually believe that the plan was the same as it had been in the beginning. Submission to the way of the Father The restoration of his original design for Eden to live and work in perfect communion with and submission to God. And as I said before, I think when we hear the words submission or obedience, we often think about rule following. But for Jesus, submission didn't only look like following the Jewish law. This is what Jesus had to say about his own life of worship. He says this in John five, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes. And he will show him even greater works than these so that you will all be amazed. You see, for Jesus, obedience or submission didn't look like compulsive rule following, but it clearly demonstrated him embracing those three gifts that I spoke about from creation. He embraced his unhindered connection to the Father. He embraced his free will, and he did so by choosing to submit his gift of free will to the Father's will and to live within the boundaries that were given by the Father. And the element of mutual love and connection comes through so clearly in those verses in John 5, I think. A.W. Tozer puts it quite beautifully, too. He said, Jesus did not redeem us to make us workers. He redeemed us to make us worshippers. And then, out of the blazing worship of our hearts, springs our work. So despite some of our misconceptions, perhaps submission is not about being subordinate. It's not about being inferior. Rather, it's about choosing to consider someone above yourself and submitting your gift of free will to their will. And I think that submission is actually best demonstrated in the Trinity, in the God of three persons who where they are all equal, but they all submit to one another, honoring one another, preferring one another, promoting one another. And so submission to the will of God is actually a beautiful thing and modeled by God himself. And for a period of time, Adam and Eve submitted their wills to the Lord's and they followed his original design for them. But now we see the one who demonstrated a lifestyle of worship outside of Eden, the new Adam, Jesus. And we're called to live like him. You know, Jesus didn't do much of significance in the world's eyes when he walked the earth. He was simply a lower class carpenter from a backwater town. Yet his entire life was one of worship because every part of it was lived in submission to the Father. And because of that, he lived quite a simple but very radical, even revolutionary, life of worship. And when we follow Jesus' example, the result for us is oneness and closeness with the Father, a lifestyle of worship where everything that we do can become an offering of worship to Him. Our family lives, our marriages, our friendships, our work, our other areas of stewardship and influence, everything. So if we want to follow Jesus' example, Then we have to know how he did it. How did he live a life of such perfect communion with the Father so that he could live out a lifestyle of worship? How is it that he was able to see everything that the Father did? And how did the Father show Jesus everything that he did? How did Jesus move beyond a rule-following type of submission, and into the kind of love-driven, perfect connection type of submission? Well, the answer is that he did it by the Holy Spirit. It was the third person of the Trinity that connected the other two perfectly. And I have no doubt in my mind that if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, then so do we. And so as I finish tonight, I want to just extend an invitation to all of you just to come into this new sort of lifestyle of worship. I think it's more of a a frame of mind than anything else for us to move into a space where our worship is not something that we do on a Sunday. It's not singing. Maybe even some of you would say, I've moved beyond a concept of worship just being my singing, but I don't feel like worship is about all of life. And I really think that that, that concept of, of hiddenness being about withdrawing from the presence of God or an unwillingness to look God in the face that we saw in the life of Adam and Eve, I think that's something that the Lord wants to address in our lives tonight. That he wants to bring us freedom from any fear or shame that would prevent us from coming into his presence and looking into his face. And so I just want to invite you to stand with me now. And Danny's just going to play a song over the, um, just over the audio. And I just want to invite you just to reflect on your own life of worship and the way that you connect with Jesus. We're not going to play the song, but we're still going to reflect. And we're just going to think about, is there anything that the Holy Spirit wants to show you that might be affecting your willingness to come fully and boldly into the presence of God? Is there anything that he wants you to deal with tonight that would just bring you greater freedom so that you can live the kind of lifestyle of worship that we've spoken about tonight? And even just as I invite you to reflect, I've really, felt, um, I've really felt led just to share a testimony with you from my own life about um, dealing with the desire to hide. I don't, I'm, I'm often here in the evening service, and we normally have a longer time of worship, and there's lots of open space here. And some of you may have seen me worshiping, and sometimes I'm dancing or jumping around or waving flags or whatever it might be, but what you might not know about me, if you don't know me well, is that that expression of worship for me is actually really hard. And I'm not saying that it's not a true reflection of how I feel about the Lord, it it is. It's just that for me to express the kind of emotion that is demonstrated in that kind of worship is not something that comes naturally to me because I don't like to draw attention to myself. So when we spoke about the different kinds of hiddenness, I'm one of the people who likes to hide by blending in. And so to do anything that draws attention to myself is something that's really hard. But expressing my worship to God in that way has been an act of submission for me because it's been about daring to be seen when I would rather not Because that's what I felt him lead me to do, has been to worship in the way that really expresses what I'm feeling about him on the inside. And there may be some of you here tonight where you really feel like the Lord is leading you out of hiddenness into a space that might mean that you risk being seen. But there might also be some of you where actually the Lord is calling you, it sounds contradictory, but maybe into more hiddenness, where maybe you've longed for a more public expression of your ministry or a more public space in which to serve, but where the Lord is actually calling you to lay that down and to be content with a more hidden space. And those were just two of the things that I felt tonight, and there might be other things that the Lord is speaking to people about, just as we reflect tonight, but Yeah, let's just close our eyes and just give the Holy Spirit just some time to work in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you that you're here. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would be highlighting things in people's minds that have caused fear or shame when it comes to their willingness to be in your presence and to look you in the face.
1: I don't want to talk about you Like you're not in the room Want to look right at you Want to sing right to you I don't want to talk about you Like you're not in the room Want to look right at you I wanna sing right to you. I don't wanna talk about you. I like cannot in the room. I wanna look right at you. I wanna sing right to you. I don't wanna talk about you. I like cannot in the room. See?
0: just as the worship team comes up now, I just want to invite you to reflect on the fact that the Holy Spirit is pursuing us. The Father is pursuing us just as he pursued Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's here tonight pursuing you. And just as you come into worship tonight, my, my prayer for you is that you would come into just a new level of, of being seen by him, and as a result of seeing him as he truly is. My praise that you'd leave here tonight free of any of the fear or shame that's prevented you from coming fully into his presence, not just in these times, but in every moment of life.
1: Thank you, Jesus.